0: David's emphasis on relationships has created great wealth for him and his family. It's enriched the people that he served as a financial advisor. And as he continues to cultivate and develop those relationships, doors are opening for him that he might not have seen for himself. And this isn't unique to him. This can happen for you. And so I encourage you to connect intentionally, as David said, because you probably don't need to talk to everybody. And then from there... Your ability to have new opportunities open up, it's infinite. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And we are in Arkansas this morning, ladies and gentlemen. We've got David Trent in the building, the man, the myth, the legend. If you guys haven't heard about him, it's because I'm getting the exclusive. This is David's first podcast interview. He's a very successful entrepreneur who has made some big waves in the financial services industry, and he has exited, y'all. He got to exit six. And I don't know how many zeros were on the check, but I know that he did pretty well. And I won't ask him to divulge that with you all. But I will tell you that he's been through many of the exits and he's helping other people exit now. So with that intro, David, welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast, man. So good to be with you.
1: Excited to be here. Thank you for the
0: opportunity. My pleasure, man. You've been such a genuine spirit. It's really interesting. When I talk to David, I see him writing copious notes and then going and taking action on the backside of it. And so when I asked him if he'd ever been on a podcast after he shared some of his career success with me and he said, no, it's like, man, we got to share your story. And so it's my belief that on the backside of this, David is going to be asked to be on so many podcasts. He's going to have <laughs> to turn them down. So. David, you're a successful NEO, a newly exited operator. You you sold last year, if I'm not mistaken, 2023? Correct. Yes. 2023, and you walked out. And so let me ask you this because, you know, let's get to the dark part. Did you know what it was going to feel like the day after you signed the papers? And did you get a check or did the wire hit? Which one did you do? Well, the wire hit.
1: So... I guess I I really took for granted. I really had a decent idea. Now I I was probably 20%, but I had a pretty good idea. I knew there was a lot of energy. I'll never retire. I've never, not every moment of every, every day is a thrill, but I've always been blessed. And I think I've worked at it. I know I have, but it's blessed because I love what I do. And I've never counted the number of hours I work. And it's just, it's never felt like that to me. So now there's times there's in any entrepreneurial journey, there's tough times and challenges. And so, but as I've grown older, you realize those challenges are the biggest blessings because you learn and grow and build your character and come up with breakthroughs through those times.
0: Now, you know, we started with the kind of the epilogue, which is you selling your company. And so tell us a little bit about the journey. Did you come from money? Did you just walk into a business that your parents started and you just took it to the next level and sold it to somebody who was, I don't know, a strategic buyer and willing to overpay? Like, give us a little bit about the journey from where you started and how you got to this place of exiting. So let me start with
1: my parents. My parents are high school educated, so no, I did not have the blessing of having a family war work chefs to start a company with or money. And so what was blessed, however, that I grew up in a household with, my wife calls it the Beaver Cleaver household. Just two parents encouraged us, told us we could be whatever we wanted to be, do whatever we wanted to do. And so my journey with entrepreneurship began when I was 24. Prior to that, I was working at a bank and I realized, man, the path for me to build wealth is, it's going to be like slow. And so I got into what I call eat what you kill, straight commission sales when I was 24 years old. So that's 36 years ago. Uh, I was blessed and I went to work for New York Life. They had a phenomenal training program, but it was, it was straight commission. And so that's when the journey began. Yes, I was a W2 employee, but I was really an entrepreneur. I just was building my own book of business. And so started there, they really taught me how to go get relationships and develop and cultivate relationships. I had great mentors there and they talked to me about reading and learning. And so that journey that was from ages 24 to 31 at probably age 28, I fell in love with the investments world. It's kind of like, that was the moment where I said. This is what I want to be when I grow up, And so I knew I needed to, I knew people that were working at Merrill Lynch, at Dean Witter at the time, but some of what we call the big wire houses. And these were guys that were making really good money. And I looked at them and I go, man, they're not, I'm as sharp as those guys. And so, so age of 31, I went to work for Morgan Keegan, which was uh, a regional version of a Merrill Lynch. They were located in the South and Southeast. I had a guy that hired me and so I only worked there for two years. Midway in, I found a mentor. His name was Larry Washka. He had started his own firm. He'd left Merrill Lynch after five years mm-hmm. and started his own firm. And so this is 1994. He started an RIA, registered investment advisor, fee only wealth management practice. It was kind of a. A newer, it kind of concept at the time. I wouldn't say new, but it was still early in that realm. So I took Larry to lunch probably seven times. He was so kind and he basically shared his recipe with me and he didn't feel threatened. He knew you know, about the fifth lunch in. I said, I want to do what you're doing. And so, huge blessing. And so when I was 33, I jumped out, built a business plan, started Trent Capital Management from scratch you know, built out the pro forma and the first, so I'm building a fee-only money management practice. I can't go hit a big leg. I mean, if I bring a client on, they're paying 1%, basically money management fees, and I'm getting that quarter by quarter. That's the way I wanted to do it. And it was just revenue didn't come in near as quick as I thought it would. Expenses were more than I thought they would be. It's a classic entrepreneur's tale, right? Yeah. And so five years were just brutal, but I just stuck it out and kept grinding day in, day out. I look back and I don't know how I even got over the hump. Got over the hump after five years. And I think that, was, I literally think it may have been a little sooner. I think that was the first point where I had more revenue than expenses. So I had a lot of debt built up, but got it over the hump and then say, well, keep growing it. And I do real know if you continue on this vein, I can.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. So fast forward to 2021, had grown to 200 families, 200 million under management and merged with a firm called Legacy Capital. So that was a true blessing. Emerged, had two partners in that firm. And then we combined forces and were able to take advantage of each other's strengths. And then I started recruiting immediately a team out of Northwest Arkansas They ended up coming on board with us in February of 23. And that took us over a billion assets under management. And so I had transitioned all of my clients over that kind of 2021 to 2000, early 2023 period and was fortunate to be able to do that. I won't go into great detail on that, but had two younger advisors that we had a great system to transition those clients. And then at that point, I thought I would just do business development for the firm, I got to thinking and thought, man, this may be a good time to exit. So I went to my partners. They were open to it. Won't go into great detail, but we were in talks to do that. Some things happened that led to a business divorce. And so they basically like, exited not the way I had thought. Let me back up a step because I had, when we merged in 21, I sold 20% of my firm to them. I was still had the most ownership in the firm. And then I had another point where I sold some interest to, two younger advisors. Well, I kind of had a three bites of the apple, egg, except the third one was not the way I hadn't had envisioned, but I learned a ton through that, you know, can look at it as unfortunate. I think it was meant to be because it took me kind of to where I am now. And so that all kind of finished up between June and September last year and really started dove in and say, okay, what's next for me? And so that's the story. It, it felt like a long diatribe, but.
0: Well, when I listened to it, I mean, you, I think you broke down 30 years into about, two minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes,
1: Which, for sure. Yeah. Right at 30, 94, when I started or 96 is when I started the farm. So not quite 30, but if you go back to, you know, when I was 28, really, when I started, I did do financial investment stuff at New York Live. It's just their insurance company. And I knew I needed to get to a traditional rubber dealer.
0: Sure. Yeah. So that's fascinating. So three bites of the apple, it means you sold a piece of the company three times. A lot of people just hope that they can sell theirs once, but you sold it, grew it, sold it, grew it, and then sold it again. What would you say was the biggest surprise in your process of accident?
1: The biggest surprise for me was prior to merging, I don't know if surprise is the right word, but it kind of was prior to merging. I was just so, I desired so much to figure out how am I going to transition this company? And so we had, cause it was owner dependent prior to that. I mean, if I couldn't just walk out the door and we were doing things. And so I had two advisors. Well, one was our chief investments officer, but he was really helpful in transitioning. I was starting to transition clients before we merged. But merging just gave me the resources. The firm I, I joined with said so we're doing some things that, that we weren't doing and, and we were vice versa. And so I think the biggest surprise to me is right after a merge, it was like, whoa, okay, now I see how this can work. And th- then you go, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, why wouldn't I have looked for this before? But it's probably god's timing you know it's just the way it happened and so that was a very pleasant surprise i will say and so the other surprise is the third body apple exit was definitely not a vision that i had right so i even learned a lot through the business divorce process and going through that and navigated it really well and you know there's some unfortunate things that come out of that but i wouldn't change anything
0: so I think having regrets is a waste of time. A lot of the time, so I I think you're wise in in that approach. But
1: you need to trademark that. Regrets are a waste of time. So
0: (laughs) I can't fix them. I mean, what are we going to do? Hold ourselves hostage there? So what's cool is you went through at least the first four exits. So you went from an employee at an insurance company, knowing that you wanted to be an investment guy, to working at an investment company, to starting your own investment company. Right. And when you walk out that door, he said, man, I have more expenses than I had revenue. So that probably made it pretty hard for you to hire people, I would assume.
1: For sure. And I, I did from day one at New York Life, for whatever reason, I hired a full-time executive assistant when I was 24. And people told me, you're nuts, man, you're just getting started. And I'm, I'm not even sure what compelled me to do that. And what, I mean, it was, you know, it was obviously wasn't super expensive, but so when I went to, I took that assistant with me to Morgan Keegan. She ends up, instead of just working for me, and you may have listeners that have gone through this, if they've been in the business, she starts working for me and four other people. Well, then you don't have an assistant, right? Cause all five of us, we need something. We need it right away. I tried not to do that, but we all do, it's a natural to do that. So when I started. She had already laughed. She got frustrated. So when I did, when I started, I said, I'm going to start with a full-time assistant. So I started, I did. So you you said I couldn't afford, probably couldn't, but I did start with that. And inside of that five years, I'm trying to remember if I, I may not have until after five, but when we merged, I had a total of nine on my team. And the firm I merged with, I believe had 10 or 11. So we got right at 20 post-merger, but. I continue, I took on, you know, obviously I felt like it was important to have someone helping me from day one. And I'm not saying that's the way you have to do it, but so I guess I had the concept of who, not how maybe early on, but that's a big challenge. I
0: I think it's really smart that you did it that way. I always question whether the person does the administrative support and then they say, Hey, I'm the sales engine. I'm going to go do the sales stuff. Or they hire somebody to help with lead generation. And then you're like, I'll take some more of this administrative stuff on because it's not that much in the beginning so that I can have somebody kind of multiplying the force when it comes to sales. And you did what I consider the traditional route of the administrative person coming in so that you can, you know, be the evangelist and tell the story of the company and get the allocation of the assets so that you guys can manage it and collect some fee. Um, Go ahead.
1: You go ahead. No, I want you to continue because I don't want to interrupt your train of thought.
0: So like that exit one is chief everything officer. Exit two is you hire somebody and some things start happening without you having to do everything, but you're managing that person. And then exit three is when you get out of managing the frontline workers, but you manage the manager of those frontline workers. And it sounds like you got through those exits. Before you got to the place where you went to the merger and then you actually got out of the day to day. Is that a fair characterization of the journey?
1: That's very fair. What I was doing, you know, a few years prior to merger is in client meetings, I would always have me and one or two, sometimes three, but one or two other team members. And so we got a, a pretty good system going. And then clients got used to that, you know, those, my team communicating with them. And it was interesting early on in my career, I really loved money management part of things. As time went on, I wanted great outcomes with how we manage money. I became less interested in that and more interested in, in, as time went on in business development and bringing on relationships and then kind of doing what I call the for me was the fun part of the relationship is taking people to dinner, taking them on trips, you know, just cultivating that relationship with those clients, knowing their situation, but I'm not doing that all the day to day, the nuances of their retirement plans and plugged into all that. But as time went on, I thought, man, business development and relationship building is really what I love. And so. And that's evolved since I've exited. That's kind of my primary focus right now.
0: Mm -hmm. I think a plan's a plan's a plan in a lot of cases. Like you can get some people who have a tremendous amount of wealth and they need more sophisticated tools. But, you know, the -the run-of-the-mill plan for the average net worth person, there's not a whole lot that changes on what they need from a protection and a growth and a risk standpoint. So I could see why. But the people, all the people are different. They have different challenges. They have different personalities and your ability to kind of unpack that and figure out where the pain is and help solve that. I think is the magic is it's the skill set. That's the most valuable. I agree. So, all right, you get to this place you, and did you decide that you were, you wanted out of the day to day or how did the merger piece happen? Because sometimes it's, You market it and you're like, Hey, I want to sell a piece. And then other times people knock on your door.
1: You know, I had a couple of firms had reached out to me. So I had gone through process with a couple of firms and, and at the time one, I got, went pretty deep with, but I told them at the beginning, I said, I think there's about a 5% chance I would sell. And they knew that. So they went through the process with me. So I had kind of started that process. This. A good fortune thing the firm that I've merged with was on the same floor in the same building. And so I was acquainted with the main principal who on the wealth management side. And so literally seeing each other in the bathroom, you know, we would kind of talk a little bit. And so we started talking in early 20, probably April, May 22 and had a good first visit. So then we just kept scheduling meetings and he was looking to bring, you know, he was wanting to bring someone in with them, whether that was in a tuck-in situation or a merger, our books of business were different, but our revenue profits were really close. So it was easy to go on in a 50, 50 merger. Now they were, they, I was 100% over my firm. The two guys I merged with were basically split the ownership in their firm. So that's how I sold 20% and still had more ownership than each of them combined. They were a little more than me, but each of them individually. And so it it was just really kind of good fortune. I I told my team from day one, what was going on. And I said, Hey, I'm I'm looking at this. I don't know if I'm going to do it and kept them abreast of every meeting. And so because we're in the same building, it kind of sped up the process. It made it easier to meet and to discuss. And so it took probably six or seven months. We just, we just took our time with it. And then merger actually happened January 1 of 21. I said, that was 22. That was, we merged at the beginning of 21. So misspoke earlier about that. So it was 20 due of May, June of 20 when we started talks and we merged beginning of 20. So
0: yeah, I think some people think this is an instant process if they haven't seen a transaction like this happen and. I think there's a ton of wisdom in you taking your time and going through the process and getting them to know your partners. You use the word divorce later in the journey, but nobody actually talks about the dating. It's just kind of like they want to go from a one night stand to married. And then they don't even begin to give any thought to the fact that you could get divorced at some point. And so I'm so glad that you're talking about all of the pieces instead of.
1: Yeah. So an irony is, my, that main partner I mentioned, he's an attorney, very bright guy, super driven. Learned a lot from him. It was a blessing to have him as we were going through merger talks, cause he had a kind of a legal acumen to get that done. So that was helpful. The irony of it is when you go through a business divorce, he has that same legal acumen, <laughs> we got to a good place where for me that for that third body the Apple exit, and I really have never thought about that irony until you just said that, that skill set was great in the dating part, and then getting to getting married. And then that skill set served him well in the exit part. But the thing that the business divorce did for me, I was going to stay on board in a more of a limited role, but I was going to stay plugged in. It kind of drew a line in the sand and said, okay, you're done. And so it's gotten me to my next, no fine intended, that's the title of your book. got me to my next place you know quicker and so I could develop out Trent Premier Growth and, and what I'm doing so
0: a lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential but lack the strategy support and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals they often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own causing frustration fatigue and eventually failure We have developed a model for a center life, AKA the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMeyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. Now, I see a picture over your left shoulder there. Somebody in, it looks like a white dress. That person's probably pretty important in this journey from a support and maybe just a rub on the back or a pat on the back and say, baby, it's going to be okay. How long has that person been a part of your life?
1: Lisa and I have been together for 10 years. We just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary It's interesting you asked that because she's had a huge impact on me and has this very cool combination of probably one of the most caring, empathetic people that I know Person She can be moved to tears, what seems to me like so easily. She's so touched by so many things, but she combines that with this incredible street smarts and. There've been things I've done in my business, whether it was hiring somebody that she just is like, I don't know. And you know, it's like, she's a hundred percent usually when she's tough. And and I would dig in sometimes you go, no, this makes sense. I'm doing this. And so I've learned over the years to I I always, her name is Lisa. Her nickname is tiny. Oh, she's five, eight, five, nine. She's not, she's not tiny by any means, but anyway, she just has a ton of street smarts and. I'm so blessed just to have the way she encourages me. I kind of feel like, I want to feel like I don't need that. And maybe to some degree, I I don't have to have that, but man, it's pretty awesome. So when you're getting that and she was phenomenal. in that third bite of the apple, the the business divorce we went through, it was, we were, it was, it was great to be able to go through that together. Have
0: her support, so. Yeah, I find that the person is either supportive or destructive, right? There's not a middle of the road thing where you're just over there doing the thing. And the other thing I found is folks who usually get to the level of success that you have, have somebody who believes in them, but is willing to tell them that they disagree with them, tell Mm -hmm. them why they disagree with them, even if it's just my intuition says this isn't the right thing. And then it just gives you an alert for something that you can watch out for. Um, but in the end, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it always ends up being your decision, but it's just another point of data for you to consider while you're going on that journey.
1: I'm going to grab something. I thought you were referencing this. Can you see that?
0: I can see the lower one. I see the house, but I don't see the people if there's people in there. So can you see that? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, you ever heard of what a row house?
1: Yes, sir. Uh, your are sh- shotgun house. Uh-huh. So that's the home. That's probably been my biggest inspiration. That's the home my father grew up in. And uh, they had an outhouse. Do you know what an outhouse is?
0: A hundred percent.
1: They had an outhouse till he was in the 10th grade, actually. So one, of, he's got many quotes, but one of his, my dad's quotes, is that uh, most people grew up with uh, two bedrooms and a bath. I grew up with... Uh, one room and a panel. So, so those shotgun houses are just one big room, and you had a basically kind of divided, but you had a living area and place where you slept, and the whole family slept in the same room. And I was, yeah, the more I thought about the outhouse thing, I was like, holy, you got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, and it's where, to What? <laughs> there it, were But he talked about the embarrassment of having to. You know, cause when the, you dig a hole to go to the bathroom in, right? Six feet deep. When it fills up, you gotta move it. You put dirt on top, move the outhouse. And he said, you know, they would dig the hole during the day when it would fill up a new hole and then they would move the outhouse at night. Cause they were, they were embarrassed by it, but I, I mean, people do not see it. I'm not sure why they were embarrassed, but anyway, both of my parents, particularly my dad, man grew up just. I'm sure people had grown up tougher, but it was his journey and everything that he overcame has always been an inspiration to me. So, man. And that the painting I showed you was something to tell you about my wife's character. We have a picture of that house. He lived on Baker Row. So there was a man named Baker who built these houses in a row, these shotgun houses. And so that's Baker Row. She had an artist. She found somebody to do a painting of it. So it's a real wow. special, special thing. And then I have a nephew, my brother, little brother, or son is named Layman Baker. My father's first name is Layman. He didn't go by that. He went by his middle name, but Baker Trent is in honor of Baker Rowe. So pretty cool stuff. Didn't mean to go yeah, off on that baby. tangent. I thought that was the picture you were looking at when you said that. So,
0: yeah, no, I see Lisa there. I saw Lisa on your profile or on one of your posts I was like she comments on every post she's on it she's supporting and promoting it. <laughs> so all right we get to this place right and there people think that the exit is the end of the road but you said I'm never going to retire i retire is a very interesting word for me retire just means you have the ability work your work optional right that's what right. retire means to me and i agree with you that, that we
1: borrowed that phrase, but I use work optional lifestyle. I uh, use that over. I said, that's our goal. I want to get you to work optional lifestyle, but go ahead.
0: Yeah. So when you when you're work optional, I consider you to be retired because you have the flexibility and freedom to do as you please without having to, you know, give your time to earn money. And so you hit the ground running. You know, some people say, oh, I'll just take a year off and explore and think. And some people call it drinking and thinking. And it's like, I don't think that's really a good idea for people who've been getting after it for 30 years. I've Mm -hmm. never heard drinking and thinking, but uh, no, I didn't go there. So, And then there's the, oh, well, go find yourself on a beach or go scuba diving. Or people come up with all these grandiose ideas. Go backpacking through Europe or walk the Appalachian Trail or whatever the equivalent is on the West Coast. And I hear people saying these things. It's like, oh, they got to go find themselves. But the finding yourself is done on the inside. And you talked about documenting stuff and having intentional review earlier in the show. But you had a plan, even though you said it was only 20% baked, before you walked out. So where did the wisdom come from to get ready for your next prior to your exit? O-P-E and O-P-R, two big ones.
1: I think it's Jim Rohn that talks about other people's experiences. Mm. And I don't know if he used the phrase O-P-E. I think he did. I don't know if I coined that myself just because I love acronyms. And then I also changed that, not changed it, the extension of that is other people's resources. So for me, when I started at 24, straight commission, you're so just... It's like, I got to figure this out. I was blessed to have a sales manager and, you know, the manager of the branch I was in. And they just, they stressed to us the importance of reading personal development books and back then audio tapes. And so I think when you're constantly trying to figure out how do I improve? waking up with a what we used to call waking up with a zero every day. You know, it was just a quest to try to learn and figure things out and find other successful people through, like I said, reading and tapes and and then resources. So just studying other people was and doing it for years. We were for years, I sent a birthday book every year to every client and then friends. So I wanted to share something that had impacted me. We sent out a weekly once a week for years. Well, just until I left, we sit out a weekly wisdom session. So it was a, probably a 300-word excerpt from a book. And I would have a quote at the top. We would put a Bible verse at the bottom. I walk into the client. It's an airplane mechanic who was a client of mine. I walk in. He's in Dallas, Texas. I walk into his office or not, or, or to his offices, and he's got a bulletin board with the that it's got a glass case on it. He's got like nine of these wisdom sessions popped up on his bulletin board. It made, it just hit me and I'd had people to I would say enjoyed it, but you know, most people just, or if you hear from one person or two that they really love it, you'd hope that there's another 50 that do, that just don't say it and that's fine, but that was pretty impactful. So. Just just a quest to learn. I think it was more just going, I've got to figure this out. And so I'm going to, you know, I've got to obviously do my job, but part of my job too is reading. And so you're doing that at night and on the weekends and maybe early morning, whatever it may be. So.
0: so you find the wisdom in your, is, was that impact intoxicating, addictive? Is that what you decided you wanted more of? Definitely
1: intoxicating. Super, the other people's just. Super curious. So I would find, you know, the Zoom is awesome now because you can connect with anybody in the world, right? But I would just find people that I admired and I would go, okay, they want more like that more than likely. Maybe some of them were, but let me reach out to this person. Hey, can we go to lunch? I want to learn how you got to where you are and just this question after question after question and, and just trying to, to uncover clues. So that's been a big part of my journey. And you're, somewhat blessed in wealth management because that you're getting your client's story so just by virtue of what i was doing i'm learning from everybody has something to teach you right everybody and so that's what was cool about what i did so it's kind of a you use the word tapestry a few times in your books it's kind of a tapestry or in your last book
0: of all of that and so you're weaving it together was there a particular moment where you're like I want to make sure that that doesn't happen or I need to do this to make sure that this does happen. I think mine was always more, but
1: making stuff happen, you know, certainly you're going to learn, I don't need to do this. You know, these are habits that I need to not do anymore. And so, you know, it's, it's stuff as simple as when you're in your car, are you going to listen to talk radio or are you going to put a cassette tape in? Now it's podcasts. So my tiny Lisa, who you asked about earlier, she jokes with me and this has been kind of recent, she says, you read and read and read. She says you zoom and zoom and zoom (laughs) and she says you podcast and podcast and podcast. So if I'm going downstairs to make, I'm working at home, I'm going downstairs to make a sandwich, I've got. Two sets of AirPods, so I've got, so I'm always putting, you know, those in, and I've got a podcast queued up. I mean, that's I tell you, and I met, and I listened, I was listening to some of Justin Brain's guest appearances, and he was on your podcast, and I reached out to you because I really was enamored with your podcast and how good it was. So
0: so grateful for that and grateful for our interaction because I know I'm better because of it, David. All right. So you weave this tapestry together, apply it against the things that you're going through or encountering, and you get to the place, you know that we're coming back to the beginning, you know that the end is imminent. What happens the day you wake up Or I don't know if the wire cleared on the same day that you signed the paper. Sometimes it doesn't clear till overnight. The next day when you wake up, the money's in the bank, the responsibilities are gone. What's it feel like?
1: You know, I was just ready. And so it it didn't, I was just, it was like jubilation because I was just like, man, this is, now keep in mind, because we went, we're going through this way we last of the exit was i had already started i was i would we had scheduled mediation so two months before it we we didn't schedule mediation it was for two months later so all the back and forth went away then on the lawsuit stuff and so then it was like okay we're gonna get the mediation i'm gonna get a deal done i don't you know i've got plenty of money and i want to get what's reasonable i kind of put fair out of the equation it, it was fair, but, and so I had that two months and it was kind of like, so it was before the wire hit, if that makes sense. So I, I had two months where I was really like, okay, man, now I can just, I don't have to manage this business divorce because we're not going to have a bunch of back and forth. And so I got going then and trying to kind of carve out the vision and it, cause it's, it's evolving if I may. And I'm going to preface this to say, this was, this is not a shameless plug for Jerome. His book next came out in December of 23. Is that right? Yes, sir. And so this is the book. I actually just got it about five days ago and was able to finish it before our interview. But this morning, Jerome, I got up at 4.30 going through the daily walk Bible with Tiny. So she wasn't awake, but we're going through it together and to talk. So I got my time with the chairman of the universe in, and then wanted to finish your book. So I get to chapter 12 and I'm going to read two paragraphs. Is that okay? Absolutely. And I already had Tiny read this this morning when she woke up, but this, this hit me and, and I'll talk about why I'm going to get through, but in the, here we go. In the unfolding narrative of your post-exit life, the quest for connection, made that an in on QFC, the quest for connection emerges as a central theme. The quest is more than just a search for social interaction. It is a deep and meaningful journey to forge bonds that enrich and invigorate your life. It's about finding and nurturing relationships. That resonate with your evolving identity and newfound aspirations. Next paragraph, the second one. this pursuit of connection takes various forms. It could be rekindling old friendships. I've done that, that have taken a backseat during your busy career, or reaching out to new acquaintances. done a ton of that, you and I today, right? we we've had a couple of interactions before this. Reaching out to new acquaintances who share your current interests and passions. These connections bring a sense of camaraderie and belonging, reminding you that relationships are a, I'm laughing at the last word here, are a vital part of life's tapestry. (laughs) that is, so I wrote up here, I wrote at the top of the page, pointed to that, and I just put mission. And so I had... Justin Breen gave me an idea and this wasn't his original idea. I can't remember who he got it from. He, he names his years now he's been, this is his third year. And so I named 2024 connect to give. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just connecting with, trying to connect with purpose, right? I don't need to talk to everybody and not everybody needs, needs to talk to me necessarily, but trying to find people that I feel like there will be a good connection and then figure out a way, how can I enhance their lives, whether it's in a small way with no expectation for anything in return. So I told Jerome earlier, pre podcast that this, his book next is like poetry for entrepreneurs and I don't even like poetry that I know of. Maybe I do now, but, (laughs) but uh, anyway, so.
0: I appreciate you, you pulling out those tidbits that relationships are the ultimate capital. I think so many people feel like money is the game, but the money is only interesting for the things that you can do with it or the experiences you can create for the people that you want to spend time with. And so, you know, exalting relationships to that highest level is something that's really special. And I think that ties us perfectly into BMSR. What is BMSR and how are you helping people on the backside of their exits or getting ready to exit with BMSR?
1: BMSR is body, mind, spirit relationships. So it's, I have a spreadsheet that I use for me personally, or for my, how I track things. This isn't for everybody, but I have categories that I track in each area, in, in the area of body, mind, spirit, and relationships. And so maybe I can give you one example of each of those if you want.
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: So body is as simple as just moving your body. And so whether that's for me, it's making sure I get walks in every day. And you know, one of the things that, one of the quotes that from another quote from Jerome, he always said, watch me. He he always said, listen to me carefully, but don't watch me too close. And his point is he says, Hey, I'm teaching this to you, but I'm always working on it myself. So I'm not perfect at any of this, but. Walking, and then I've got a strength training routine, which is relatively short, but I try to get that in three days a week, sometimes four. And so that's an example of the body area. And they obviously all feed each other. The mind is what we're talking about today. It's what, what we're doing right now, reading. I mean, I do weight, but I do plenty of that. So that's kind of an easy one for me to execute. And I've got to realize that that's not that easy for everybody. Just feeding your mind through podcasts, books meeting people, asking questions, learning. Spirit is just what it means, whatever, whether you're a quote religious person or not, something spiritual that resonates with you. For me, Christian faith is one of the, something that I'm continually trying to grow in and so do that by reading scripture, but also just by being still, prayer has always been something that I've I'm not great at it. I've gotten better and better. So that's body, mind, spirit. And then relationships could probably fall under mind somewhat, but to me, it's a separate category because it's just what you what's, what's the end of that, the, the vital part of life's tapestry. So it's man, it's the fruit of life. So, so yeah, that's the, and then, and then I talked to you earlier about before we started, just. I'm a big believer in 30 day sprints. You can really do
0: a lot in, in 30 days. And so tell me more about that philosophy, because I know that there's a book out there called the 12 week year that some people are big on and it's like, Hey, half four years in one, talk about the 30 day sprint and maybe how you've implemented that and the difference that it's made for you.
1: We did, I think in 90 days. You can accomplish a lot. What I've seen can happen though with that. You may get 40 days in you're like, dead gum it. I'm not doing what I said I was going to do. Then you can just give up or not give up, but maybe you don't, you're not, then you're not as dialed in or you, and so, you know, if you do that, let the next 50 days go by and you don't, you're not executing on what your goals were you go, well, I'll pick it up next quarter. That's what I like about 30 days. Now you can do the same thing in 30 days. You can be 10 days in and say, hey, I'm not getting it done. But to me, I look at that. If I'm coaching somebody, I'm going to say, hey, look, the 10 days is gone. Okay. Let's, let's focus on the next 20 and try to get it back on track. And then you got the momentum going into your next 30 days. And so that, that, I just like the frequency of, uh, 30 days and really it all comes down to, to, uh, I think probably a, many of your listeners may have read Atomic Habits. That's one of the cl- a great book. but really what it comes down to is, I mean, you can break it down to here's what I got to do daily, hourly, you know, so, but if you can stack one good day after another, to me, that's the biggest key, just habit stacking and day stacking, getting habits to where you're doing them. And so you, you no longer have to track them. Okay, whatever that is, you're like, well, I'm checking this off every day. So you you need to throw that out. You're doing that. You don't want to get away from it, but you're doing that. But then you build on that and go to a a higher habit. So it's just stacking great days, one after the other. And then if you have a tough day, just learn from it and move on. You're done with that day. So,
0: yeah. I love the wisdom and what David is sharing with you guys, ladies and gentlemen. Like if you let too much time pass, you can be drifting. And that drifting will get you off course, which will then lead to less efficiency. And so he's saying compress the time and then review so that you don't lose days, weeks, months, years for some people. And in doing that, your ability to stay on course, stay on track gets you the outcome that you want faster, maybe than you planned on it ever happening after you get through the initial honeymoon phase where you believe it's going to happen instantly in excess of everything. And so uh, there's some quote out there that people underestimate what they can do in a month or what they can do in a year, but they underestimate what can happen in three or five years. But it's just stacking the days, it's stacking the activities, it's stacking the habits to get you to that outcome. I've watched so many people who won't say they want this or want that, but they're not willing to do any consistent activity in order to have this or that happen. And using David's BMSR system, it's my belief that you can get exactly what you want in a shorter amount of time with less mistakes. And yep. so, David, if folks want to learn more about BMSR, what can happen on the backside of an exit and some of the other amazing things that you're helping folks out with where should they go i would say right
1: now go to my linkedin page just david trent we are rebuilding our i shouldn't say re, we've got a real basic site for trent premier groves out there but we're hopefully that'll be trent premier dot com will be finished and out there inside of a few weeks. So you can go there once that's done. Do have another website uh, or company called Absolute Capital, and there's some information on there. It's B as in boy, z, all of that's on my LinkedIn page. I would think if you were just wanting to get a a snapshot of what I'm about and where I'm headed,
0: uh, LinkedIn's a good spot, so. Yeah, I think LinkedIn is the best place because they can see your history, they can see your track record, they're gonna know you're real, they're gonna see that beautiful blazer you have on, and <laughs> they're gonna want to talk to you and learn more about what you have going on and how you might be able to help them get to their next. David, you're you're an example of a dream catcher man. I'm so grateful to meet you through Justin Breen, and. I'm just so excited for the impact that you're going to have on the backside of your exit and the legacy that you're going to leave. I see you influencing tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands or millions of people in this second chapter that you have. And I'm really excited for the impact that that's going to make on the world. So thank there you so I'm... much for...
1: I you going to say, am I an official member of the Dreamcatchers?
0: You are. You have been initiated. <laughs> I love it. I may need a cap or something, man. So, oh, you'll, you'll get something. Don't worry. <laughs> um. <laughs> so the way I always wrap these episodes up is what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode?
1: Well, that's a tough one. I think the theme that came out throughout is relationships and just, and just invest. Start with your family, because if you're not doing that, then to me, the other stuff doesn't matter, but just investing in your relationships and cultivating those relationships, nourishing them. So that's far and away. Number one, you're doing that. I mean, a lot of of things are going to take care of themselves. So
0: I love it. One of my affirmations that I say is everyone I come in contact with is better because of our encounter. And so David's emphasis on relationships has created great wealth for him and his family. It's enriched the people that he served as a financial advisor. And as he continues to cultivate and develop those relationships, doors are opening for him that he might not have seen for himself. And this isn't unique to him. This can happen for you. And so I encourage you to connect intentionally, as David said, because you probably don't need to talk to everybody. And then from there, your ability to have new opportunities open up, it's infinite. Until the next time, your dreams shall be real. David, thanks again. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.